Hi, this is Anthony P. Ferrante, director of the Sharknado Quadrilogy, and you're listening to uh, Without Your Head. of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by glenn r miller the director of aquarium of the dead hello guys how's it going good to have you here good to have good to be here thank you so much aquarium of the dead it's available everywhere as i found out everywhere it's on amazon it's on youtube it's on itunes it's on video demand it's on tubi it's on voodoo it's everywhere now, as a um, uh, you know, a film watcher, I do like Tubi a lot because uh, they have a lot of unusual stuff on there, some some weird stuff, and it's free. And it's uh, I, I I dig. Yeah, Tubi. I recently found out that they have Bewitched, and I was like, oh, oh nice. Oh, I love me some uh, Elizabeth Montgomery, man. Oh my god. Yeah, and from my understand, they're pretty good for uh, independent filmmakers, as far as you know giving them a decent uh, amount of uh, money from people watching their stuff. Yeah. There's uh, quite a few asylum movies on Tubi as well, apparently Um, like almost the entire library, I think, well, pretty close to it is on there. It's kind of interesting. I was just talking to David Latt the other day and uh, yeah, they're doing really good with Tubi. Cool. My mom has a silly joke. She calls it Tubi or not Tubi. Uh, That's pretty good. Nice. I like that. So, uh, I guess, explain to people what Aquarium of the Dead is, if, they, if they're not familiar yet. So, Aquarium of the Dead is your basic um, uh, uh, theme park uh, gone awry with uh, zombie fish, sea life, and whatnot, walruses, uh, octopus, starfish, crabs. Uh, you name it, it's got it. Um, 
there's a dolphin. We got sharks. We got it all. Um, this is the official spinoff to the Zombies movies. So you go Zombies and then Aquarium, and it all kind of just goes in there. It's part of the same universe. Mm-hmm. Um, the Zombies. That was kind of fun. It's the Zombieverse. Yeah. What interested you to begin with to do like to make uh, you know zombie movies with with uh, animals? Um, it was interesting because so usually when you work at the asylum and stuff, and if you're there all the time, if you kind of like, if you have like a residency, if you will, uh, you get to see what's coming down the pike. You get to see the, the, the calendar, the list of movies that they, that they plan coming up. And, uh, Zumbies, the, the first one had been on the slate for at least a year. And I, you know, emailed and I said, I'm in, I want to do this movie. Um, you know, because they said it was just going to be, it's like Jurassic park, um, but with zombie animals, um, zombie zoo animals. So I thought that was a, a cool concept. And I was like, great, awesome, love it. Uh, we made the movie in the summer of 2015. I think it came out in April of 2016. Um, and it did really, really well. It did, it did amazing. It's, it's all over the world. It's in multiple languages. It's in Japanese, Italian, and French. It's in it's in Hindi. It's 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 everywhere. Um, people love it, uh, and uh, it did so well. We did a sequel uh, back in 2019, Zombies Two, uh, which was the prequel to Zombies One. So it kind of the Zombies universe kind of goes all over the place. It's kind of like the Marvel universe, but you just don't know where it's going to go. Um, so uh, yeah, so Zombies Two was the prequel to Zombies One. Uh, that did really, really well. That's again, all over the world. You can get it on Blu-ray in various languages. Um, and, uh, you know, we were talking about where to go next. We we're talking about Zombies 3, which is still in the works. Uh, but we wanted to try something new. And since we over at the asylum, the guys already have like this gigantic library of, uh, of, of sea animals, uh, uh, CGI sea animals from the Sharknado movies and other various mega sharks and Megalodon movies. Um, they wanted to try out uh, a spinoff to Zombies called Aquarium of the Dead. And that had been in development for about a year. Um, it was a very, very much different idea at first. Uh, it was the, uh, the aquarium was going to be open to the public originally when have large crowds or whatever, but then the pandemic hit. So uh, COVID hit and we were forced to do a few rewrites and uh, scale the movie way down um, and just make it about a small group of people uh, trying to run around and survive the zombie uh, sea life attack, sea animals. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Yeah. Uh, When you mentioned um, for people who don't uh, know what this means exactly, you said they have like a library of, um, of CG sea creatures. And I know from previous interviews that, uh, sometimes people will find a cool monster that wasn't used in something and they'll, you know, make a movie around it. So I guess just mm-hmm. explain what you mean by that and how that works. So the asylum has been making movies for like 20 plus years. And uh, every movie is done by the same visual effects department. They have an in-house uh, visual effects department run by uh, Glenn Campbell over there. And uh, they are the magicians behind the scenes. They're the guys that don't get the credit. They're the ones that always get bashed on because the CG looks so bad or whatever. I'll tell you this, from my experience at the asylum and working with them and how fast everything goes, those guys in the visual effects department 
pull miracles. They they create magic out of nothing. Uh, there's only like three people in one tiny little room uh, that create all the visual effects for every movie, and they have to pump out a new movie every month. And sometimes they're only given like maybe two or three weeks to do about a hundred visual effects per movie. Um, so that's that's when you really break that down and you really think about the grand scheme of filmmaking and movies and what it takes to put your, you know, your, your dinosaur movie out there and on the big screen or a space movie, you know, all these, all these gigantic blockbusters that come out every year. Um, they have hundreds of people working in the visual effects department. This company has three. Um, so what they do is just amazing. Um, so, what they do is they sometimes they'll just reuse animals. Uh, I know in Zombies One, we were going to reuse the tiger. I think from a previous zombie movie that they had made that had a, a tore up tiger that was all mangled and tore up and stuff. And we were going to use that, but it was so lost inside the archives of the hard drives or whatever stuff that we couldn't find it. So we ended up creating another uh, tiger for that for that kill in that scene. So uh, for um, Aquarium of the Dead, um, I assume they just had, you know, nautical or, or, or uh, sea life. Um, do you do any, do they do anything to them to make them, you know, zombified? We changed the eyes white. That's it. <laughs> um, in the original concept for zombies, the eyes were going to turn red, red with rage. Um, and then late in post, we decided that we were going to turn the eyes white, like a milky white. So we've been kind of going with that ever since Zombies 1. It's just this milky white look to their eyes. And that's pretty much it. If we had more time and a bigger budget, we would totally mangle them up, scratch them up, put blood on their, you know, on their claws and, you know, tear up their face and stuff. Like you see on the box cover. Uh, most of the animals on the box cover are all tore up. If you've seen the Japanese covers, holy crap. Um, the Japanese covers for the Zumbies movies are just insane. They are just amazing. Um, and yeah, all the animals, the meerkats and the rhinos and the giraffes and stuff are all tore up and mangled and they're gnarly looking and stuff. Um, if we could, if we had more time, we would totally do that. Um, but we don't. We make movies in six days. Right. Uh, how much say do you have in the poster art in the, in the cover art? The poster art is completely out of my hands. That is a marketing thing. Um, we kind of have a, we have a theme for the zombies movies. Um, and that's just one single animal on the cover looking straight at the audience. Um, zombified, obviously. Yeah. Um, I will say that the overseas Artwork is always really, really cool. I've already seen the artwork for the UK version of Aquarium of the Dead, and it's amazing. I, I want to say all of the artwork's amazing. Mm -hmm. Even when, right, right when you first get it, you get that email and say, hey, here's the artwork for your movie, and you look at it and go, oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. But, yeah, most of that is all marketing, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the head's over there at the asylum, you know, they, they sit in a room for hours and talk about what do we want to call it? Um, what do we want the poster art to look like and stuff, you know, so they really get into this think tank yeah. and really hash it out. Do you get a physical copy of all the different like uh, poster arts to collect? I, I usually 
I, I hit up uh, development and I hit up the, you know, the powers that be over there and stuff. And I say, please send me the artwork yeah. so I can create swag, t-shirts, whatever, posters, whatever I want to do. Uh, it's mostly for like the premieres. Yeah. I like to hand out some things at the premieres, either posters or some t-shirts or hoodies. We made hoodies for the first movie. We did t-shirts for the second movie. This one didn't get any. We just, this one happened so fast that we didn't have time for anything. Um, they, they don't do DVDs anymore, mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of a big bummer uh, when I found that out because I, I asked, I said, hey, can you send me over the box art so I could take the, uh, the block, the credit block, and put it on the front and create a poster? And they said, well, we don't do uh, DVDs anymore, so there is no cover. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's unfortunate. But, you know, it is what it is. But the UK and over there, France and Italy and stuff, they will be releasing Blu-rays, so that'll mm -hmm. be cool. That's interesting because a lot of times if I have a like a veteran actor filmmaker on, I'll act, ask about, you know, the changes, you know, from sometimes before there was even VHS or, you know, like midnight movies to VHS to DVD to streaming. But even in just in a short period of time, it's, you know, DVDs were the big thing and, you know, physical media is really going away. And what's I like to keep up with? Like uh, the changes. Right. Yeah, I, I made the big leap recently. I mean, I, I used to have, you know, the the giant stacks of DVDs and Blu-rays all over taking up the walls, you know, from floor to ceiling. Um, and I recently just packed them up, put them in some tubs. Uh, but I actually made digital versions of them before I did that. It's it's kind of an interesting thing. I know that it's I, I know for sure it's going to come back. I mean, Laserdisc, there, there's a, a small underground of people out there that collect laser discs there, you know, people still collect vinyls, people still love cassettes and stuff, you know, and those things are worth a lot of money. It's going to happen again, years later, 20 years or so from now, people will want to go back and collect DVDs and Blu-rays or whatever and stuff. Um, I do find it a little convenient that you don't even have to leave the couch to, to change a movie, just yeah. click of a button and you're on to the next one. It's, it's crazy. It's weird because on the show, I'll be like, oh, you know, a lot of times like, oh, you know, you should buy this stuff. But I'm myself, I'm guilty of it all the time. Even if I know I own the movie, it's like, well, it's easy. Instead of going find it, I can literally, it's probably streaming somewhere. I'll just watch it. It's so much easier than finding right. my own copy that I know I own somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I do, I do the same thing. I used to love getting DVDs and Blu-rays just for the special features. I, that's, I I agree. Especially the commentary tracks, which are kind of a thing of the past. I was just about to say, I love audio commentaries. I love listening. Recently, I was on a show in Oklahoma and my second AD and I, we were watching Tropic Thunder, which has the most amazing audio commentary with Robert Downey Jr. and Ben Stiller and uh, Jack Black. And that is probably one of the best audio commentaries I've ever heard. Yeah, it seems like because I, I was still uh, renting uh, the actual physical DVDs for a long time after people stopped off um, off Netflix because of that. But then eventually they stopped. They would put out the rental versions, which had no special effects. And so then, it, I mean, special mm -hmm. with, uh, features. And then eventually even stuff you buy, it's very rare, except for some of the ones that will like put out special editions like Vinegar uh, Syndrome and stuff like that will put out, you know, older movies with a bunch of stuff. But most of the stuff. Oh, like yeah. I, I recently just got King Kong 76 from Shout and I got the Explorers from Shout and just a bundle of special features. It's awesome. Yeah. I remember even uh, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, who uh, I'm a big fan of. Not necessarily all his movies are great, but sometimes I would buy his stuff, even if it was like some movie I didn't even want to watch, like some 
biker <laughs> movie or something because I, I like to listen to the commentary tracks. Nice. Yeah. Commentary tracks are awesome, dude. I swear by them. I, I, if I've seen the movie a hundred times, I will totally turn on the Goonies uh, visual commentary with all the cast sitting there behind the table and stuff and just listen to them talk about what it was like to make the movie. Um, yeah. Commentaries are awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, deleted I, scenes are amazing too. Yeah, I agree. There's like there's like 50 minutes of deleted scenes for the Breakfast Club movie that nobody's ever seen before. And Criterion just released that Blu-ray, I think, the last year, or the year before. And there's a, almost a whole hour, a whole nother movie that we've never seen before. It's awesome. I actually even know that, and I I love that movie. It's a movie. There's movies, you know, like if you turn around and happens to be on, even if it's like halfway through, you'll just keep watching it, and that that's one of those movies. Mm-hmm. I love TV versions. Last night I stayed up and watched Superman two, the international cut. It's two and a half hours long and you don't even know it's two and a half hours long. It feels just like the regular movie, but there's like little shots added here and there, little nuances, alternate takes of things and stuff. And it's actually really, really cool to watch. Interesting. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people ask what it's like to act in a movie with a lot of CG, but what what are the what are the difficulties you know uh, directing a movie that that has a lot of digital effects? Um, there's that moment on set where you tell the actors what they're supposed to look at, and everybody has that moment of oh my god, really? Okay, sure, I'm looking at a spider crab. Gotcha. All right, fine. And where am I looking again? Where is it going to be? It's going to be right there. Okay. And then there's another one over here. Okay. All right. Just give me some room for a second. Let me work this out. You know, um, I usually try to provide the actors with physical props. The day that we did the spider crab scene, we, I left the props in the car. (laughs) Um, and I didn't have time to go to the car and get this stuff because I, like I said, we made this movie in six days. I barely had time to eat. I didn't even have time to direct. I literally told the actor, I said, stand there and say your line, stand there and say your line. Um, I know sometimes it's terrible. It, it, that's terrible to say, but it kind of was that sometimes because you're at such a crunch. You got to go, you got to go, you got to go. You got to go so fast, especially in six days. Um, but yeah, working with CG animals and just kind of creating things out of thin air, it really it's about using your imagination at pretending what is there. That's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually kind of fun because the actors get to kind of be like kids again. They get to go back and kind of just imagine and, and, and kind of just draw from their childhood, you know, a little bit and stuff and become kids again on set and just play and just have fun with it. And just imagine that there's a walrus charging after you or imagine that there's an octopus hanging from the ceiling. Um, it's it's fun it's cool it can be challenging but um i mean you've seen the movies so you can tell for yourself that we we have a lot of fun on the zombie sets yeah um when you said props do you mean they're kind of like mock-ups of what the things would look like so i usually try to i just conveniently have one right here um i i try to have physical things on set this is our gator um that we had in the movie um I like to have things because again, with such a small budget, you don't know what's going to get cut. You don't know what you get to keep in the movie. Now, if you have a physical thing like this, that's something you're going to be able to keep in the movie. Mm-hmm. If it's a visual effect, it might just go away because you ran out of money in post or um, it might change. 
the senator originally uh, in in Aquarium of the Dead, the senator was supposed to get killed by a walrus. I think the walrus was supposed to burst through the wall, knock him down, and then drag him out of frame. Well, in post, we decided that we wanted to do an octopus. So the octopus kills the senator. Um, that's that's kind of one of those fun things that you get to do in post. You get to kind of just change things on the fly. Um, but, you know, I mean, it the, the shot totally changed. The whole wall was supposed to burst open and stuff. And, you know, and he was supposed to fall down. But instead, you know, it was like the octopus had been in the room already and stuff and just attacked him from behind. So, um, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting how post goes on these movies sometimes. How did you become a, an asylum guy? How did you get involved with them? I got a call back in 2009. I was just wrapping up a show and I got a call from a guy and said, Hey, uh, we heard that you AD. Um, so short, long story short, I'm a set. I'm an, I'm, let me start over long story short. I'm an assistant director by trade. Uh, my day job is I'm an AD on set. I walk around, I tell everybody what to do, where to go. And da, da, da. I, I get the director's information and I relay it to the cast and crew. Um, that's my day job. About five or six years into that, I said, I would love to start directing for you guys. Um, it's been years and I've been, you know, kind of carrying a lot of other directors along and stuff and helping directors and stuff. I would really like to take a crack at it. So they said, well, let's give you one of our tests. And back then, the, the test at the asylum was if you could do a found footage movie, then you could direct a narrative. So I got to direct this tiny little movie in four days called The Bell Witch Haunting. And it was a found footage movie uh, about this family that gets, uh, you know, tormented by the Bell Witch. And uh, it's all caught on camera. You know, the, the kid in the house is very tech savvy. He has cameras all over the place. And he, he they, you know, they have surveillance cameras at the house and stuff. And they see the witch in the backyard and they follow her back to the cave and stuff. And everybody dies eventually. But um, that was the first thing that I got to do. And I did that in four days. <sighs> that was tough. So I went back to them after that movie wrapped. And I said, please give me something with some substance. Give me something that has a script. Because with those type of movies, with found footage movies, there are no scripts. It is all just improv. And every actor wants to get a line in. And some of those scenes will just run on for like 12, 13, 15, 20 minutes. So I asked him, I said, please give me um, a narrative. Give me something with a script. So I got to do the Coen and the Zombie Stoner next. That was awesome. The Coen and the Zombie Stoner, we did that in 2014. We had so much fun. We actually shot that in December of 2013. And it was one of the coldest winters ever. It was so cold. And we had girls running around in underwear, guys with shirts off and, and, and boxers and stuff. Um, that was just a crazy movie. So much fun to make. Uh, I would, I, if I could, I would go back and do that movie all over again. It was so much fun making that movie. I'll have to check that out. I've not seen it. And I, I noticed on your IMDb that you were uncredited as a director for the, uh, the bell, Witch. was that just like kind of the setup of the movie that's found footage. So that didn't have a director. Yes. Yeah. Every, every found footage movie. There's the, uh, I think what the idea with that was, is that they wanted to, uh, say that I was I was the person that found the footage 
that Glenn Miller found the footage and put together this this documentary of the of the happenings of the house or whatever and uh, yeah whatever it's a found footage movie made in four days right are you a fan of found footage movies I I like VHS VHS is a very very cool series of movies um, I did like the the uh, the paranormal activity movies. I actually had to watch all of those movies as research before I worked on Bell Witch. Um, usually, when I get asked to do a movie to direct, I will immerse myself in that world. If it's a Christmas movie, I'll watch a bunch of Christmas movies. Um, if it's a zombie movie, then I'll I'll dig deep into that. Like when I did um, the Cohen the Zombie Stoner, I watched Warm Bodies which is essentially kind of the same movie-ish kind of, but Warm Bodies takes takes place in the apocalypse, takes place in, you know, uh, ours took place in normal, modern day, whatever, and we saved the world. Um, yeah, so I usually just try to immerse myself in those worlds and those genres whenever I direct. Um, yeah. Um, you know, before, before you were actually directing, what kind of movies were you into? What were like the movies that like made you want to, this is something I would like to do, make movies. I grew up watching Joe Dante and Spielberg movies. Uh, pretty much anything from the eighties, Goonies, Gremlins, Explorers, uh, Jurassic Park, E.T., all the Spielberg stuff. I even like 1941. I'm one of those rare ones that thinks that 1941 is a masterpiece. And I know I'm going to get scrutinized for that, but I thought 1941 was a very, very well-made movie. The timing and the pacing is just amazing. Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, the whole cast of characters in that movie, John Candy's in it. Um, just the cast of characters and the way it's, it's just the timing, the pacing, it even has Glenn Miller music in it. Um, so it's cool. I, I thought that movie was really, really cool. It just, you know, Spielberg was in his prime in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the way he moved the camera, just the fun. I, my favorite uh, Indiana Jones movie is everybody's least favorite, which is Temple of Doom. Uh, I saw that in the theater. I fell in love with it. I thought it was amazing. It was so much fun. Short Round is fun. Willie is fun. They're all just, it's a big, fun movie. The Minecart Chase is amazing. Uh, that movie is just fun. And I always wanted to make movies like that and Back to the Future gremlins um you know just wanted to make those type of movies because those were the type of movies that you walked out of the theater going yeah man that was cool you know you you were sitting in a room that was air conditioned for two hours and then you got to walk out those doors and the bright blinding light and stuff and the warm sun would hit you and stuff and you walk out going that was a fun movie wrath of Khan made me feel that way that was just walking out of the wrath theater of seeing wrath of Khan to me a perfect uh, movie yeah Dude, that movie is so good. I walked out of Rathacon when I was a kid, when I uh, walked out of the theater when it was over, and I just wanted to be Captain Kirk. I wanted to be on the bridge of the Enterprise so bad, shooting Khan and the Reliant. Oh, my God, I wanted to do that so bad. That's what maybe uh, – I actually like the reboot of Star War, uh, Star Trek, but then the, sequ- the second one where it's basically a remake of Khan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just couldn't get into it because it's such a different – it's like – I don't it's know. It's a good movie. It's just kind of – it's like all right. reverse some of the thing, you know, instead of uh, instead, instead of Kirk, Kirk yelling saying it, it's Spock and yeah, you know, it's Spock saying it. Yeah, it's hey man, whatever. Yeah. What what's I was trying oh no love for you, Dr. Jones from uh <laughs> which uh, has been said to me over the years, just because of the, the last name Jones. 
that's amazing. Usually people would know what I was talking about. No time for love. <laughs> I, but I was going to say, when you started to say it's everyone's least favorite, I would say it was everyone's least favorite until Crystal Skull. And then. Oh, my God. You know, I don't even count Crystal Skull. I don't. I, to this day, still try to think of one scene that's good in that movie. Maybe the car chase. Maybe the old cemetery scene where they, you know, they find the artifact or whatever. Area 51 blows. The anthill blows. Them finding the aliens and stuff. It's just like, dude. Uh, You know what? I'll take that back. The Area 51 stuff is kind of cool when they get into the building and he, he hides himself in a refrigerator and gets launched. <laughs> right. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but extremely, like, I don't know, Matt. It just, it's just so far out there. It's like yeah. Indiana Jones would not survive half the shit he did in that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a whole website based that's it's called Nuke the Fridge. And I think that's where they got their name from. I uh, like the review. Oh my god, stuff is from from that's the amazing. refrigerator. But yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. I'm looking forward to a new one though. I hope it's amazing. Yeah, close it off. Close it off with a really, really good one, and just please don't rise of Skywalker that movie, and just do it, do it justice, and and just end it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um. Asylum movies and Sharknado, these kind of, I, to me, that's really its own genre of movie. It's like, is it horror? Is it comedy? Action, whatever. I think that's really just its own genre of film. It really is. And there is a whole underground subculture of people who love asylum movies. They love being able to watch really bad made movies and see, see it for what it is. Some people will see it as this is cinematic. This is art. Or, or some people will just watch it as a drinking game. I, for one, don't watch those movies. Um, <laughs> I cannot stand the movies that we make over at that company. Um, they're the most unwatchable things I've ever seen or haven't seen. Um, but I do support all the filmmakers and everybody behind the scenes on those movies because we do take it seriously. Um, we are treating it as if it were the big budget, you know, blockbuster that it, it that it should be um but um you know at the end of the day we can't take it too serious because you know we know what it is we know that it's a movie being made in six days uh it's not going to be a masterpiece um but you know uh, there is a following out there and i love our fans out there because you guys are awesome um and you guys know what these movies are they're schlocky silly little movies that you throw on in the background or you sit down with a group of friends and have a few drinks or smoke a little or whatever and stuff and riff on it and, you know, yell back at the screen or just laugh at every stupid little thing. I mean, we had a premiere for this uh, for Aquarium of the Dead uh, about a week and a half ago at uh, Anthony, the um, the senator. We Ferrante. went to the senator's house. Uh, no, no. Anthony Ferrante did do a uh, second unit on the show, though. He, he saved my ass. And we'll talk about that, too. Um, but we went to Anthony, the senator, Senator Blackburn's house. Okay. And we had a screening in the backyard. We had a red carpet premiere there, a private event. And uh, we were laughing at all of the silly, schlocky stuff in the movie because that's what you do. You, you laugh at it. It's fun. Um, again, they're not meant to be taken seriously. Although we do take it seriously on set and it's just, 
it's just fun. We just have fun making these movies. I thought for a second, man, that's what the asylum world calls Anthony Ferrante. He's the senator or something, but I realized that it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anthony, Anthony is amazing. I love him so much. Uh, he and I started working together on Sharknado 2 when we went to New York. And uh, we developed a bond and a friendship since then and stuff. And we talked to each other at least once a week still. And when it came time to do Aquarium, they asked me, they said, hey, man, um, do you mind if we bring in somebody to do second unit stuff? And I said, I would love to. And they said, well, who could do? I said, there's only one person that could do second unit for one of my movies. And that's Anthony C. Ferrante. I got to have Anthony. And Anthony was uh, in the middle of getting ready to do another movie, but he said that he could lend a few days to help out. So the scenes with the, uh, the firefighters trying to break into the facility and um, we did some pickups uh, after principal photography, about a month later, we had to go back and do more pickups. Not a month later. What am I saying? About two weeks later, maybe even a week, we had to go back and do some more shots because the movie was short. You when you shoot a movie in six days, you know, you're going to, you're going to miss a few things. So, uh, you know, uh, we went back, shot about 10, 15 minutes more footage, um, completed the film. And I couldn't have done it without Anthony. Anthony saved this movie. Um, or if, if it weren't for him, this movie would be probably like 45 minutes long. So you met him on, uh, on Sharknado 2. By the way, a cheap plug, people can go. And, uh, I had Anthony Ferrante on the show a few years ago. Really fun interview. Nice. Yeah, Anthony's awesome. Anthony's got a band. Uh, yeah, Anthony's kind of like me. Actually, to play on the show. Uh, nice. Stuff that they nice. played in the movie and then just some other stuff that was just fun. Nice. Anthony's like me where he's one of those filmmakers that pours his heart and soul into his movies. He does it even more so. He, I just show up, I direct, and I'll probably edit the film. Anthony will will take the script, rewrite it overnight. I've, I have pictures when I worked with Anthony of Anthony just falling asleep at the laptop during Sharknado in Vegas of him just working and rewriting lines because that's what he does. He does, he, he'll stay up, he'll, he'll scout during the day. He'll make the movie during the day. And then at night he's rewriting the pages for the next day to make it work for the location or the characters or the actors or whatever it is. And I have, he falls asleep and then he gets up and he starts typing again and he falls asleep and then he wakes up again and he starts typing again i'm like how do you know where to leave off how do you know where you're it's amazing watching that guy work um but anthony kills it he is a very very hard worker um and i aspire to be more like anthony every day because i can't play guitar or play me write music or anything like that but um the passion it's all about the passion that you put into your movies and stuff and anthony and i are right there man right when it comes to making these movies we put our heart and soul into both these movies all the time uh how did it affect these movies in asylum when uh sci-fi stopped uh you know having them on, on their network that was a little bit of a loss because i was still an assistant director for the asylum when that happened and it was you know we heard that the sci-fi channel wanted to go in a different direction uh didn't want to show schlocky things they wanted to do more original content um, so that was kind of a big blow, not only for the asylum, but other companies around Hollywood too, that were helping making movies like that too. I do believe sci-fi still does like 31 days of Halloween okay. and they do original movies for that. Mm -hmm. I think that's the only time, but for like Sharknado week, 
Um, yeah, they kind well, of stopped doing that. Would look forward. It was a big deal, like when the new a new Sharknado would come on, or it was, it was. Or... I remember when Sharknado. Oh boy, which one was it? Sharknado three or four? I think one of one of those two came out. I was in Louisiana working on a movie, and I made a point to go out to the local. That there was like this big parking lot viewing. Somebody had closed up a whole parking lot, brought out the big screen or whatever and stuff. And people were out in lawn chairs and just, you know, having a, having a time, you know, some beer and some pizza and whatever and stuff. It was a huge group of like a hundred people out in Louisiana uh, having a Sharknado party. They watched the whole marathon throughout the entire day leading up to the new one that came out. And yeah, it was kind of like a ritual every year waiting for that new Sharknado movie. We would shoot them in February and March and then spend, you know, another two or three months in post and, uh, you know, you'd get to see it during Sharknado week uh, in either June or July. And it was pretty cool going down to Comic-Con uh, and promoting the Sharknado movies down in Comic-Con. That was a lot of fun, too. Do you have anything um, from Sharknado? Like, I know you have some props there from, from uh, Aquarium of the Dead. Oh, let's see. I mean, we used to get buttons. We used to get, like, crew buttons. And um, I did the even number one. So as an assistant director... There was there were the alternate alternating ads. Uh, Esther Johnson was the original first ad on the sec on the first one, the third one, and then the fifth and the sixth one. I came in to do the second, the fourth, and I did production on the sixth one. Um, but for every movie we did on Sharknado, we got these buttons that would have the number on it, in the in the in the the style of that movie or whatever. Um, I think uh, there was some T-shirts that Ian passed out on the third movie. I think we got one of those. Um, I'm actually in two of them. The second one you wouldn't know because I was doubling for Andy Dick. Um, so Andy Dick plays a cop in the second movie. And when you see his face, obviously that's Andy Dick. But when you when the camera flips around to get Ian's coverage, that's me. So you see a little shoulder and a little bit of hair. Uh, that's that conversation go when they're like, will you be the double for Andy Dick? Uh, I kind of made that decision myself okay. because I was the first AD and uh, Andy was having uh, one of his days that day. So he had to go and we were like, well, what are we going to do? We still have to shoot Ian's coverage and Andy needs to be there. And I said, listen, if it's just going to be a shoulder and some hair or whatever, I'll do it. Just go get me his shirt. Give me his little cap that he wears as the cop and stuff. I'll do it. Just, just let's go. Let's go. We got to make this movie. And uh, what was the second one? I'm sorry that you were in the second one. I was in Sharknado four. I was the ride operator. Uh, so when they're at the top of the stratosphere in Las Vegas, uh, the ride is being attacked by sharks and uh, I run out, stick my head out to see what's going on. And then I get attacked by a shark. Very good. So you said the uh, premiere was a week and a half ago. Uh, so what was that like? You know, finally get to see the movie with people. It was interesting because so with these type of movies with the budgets being so low, you can't always keep the movie moving. Mm -hmm. um, you have to stop and talk uh, because if the, if the, you know, if you're just going to keep the actors moving or whatever, something has to happen. So they have to stop and hide. So there has to be like eight pages of dialogue where there's just expo exposition, 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 and dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And when it's dialogue that people can't really relate to, like uh, 
you know, you have to crush the membrane of the starfish, that, 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 technical jargon, technical jargon. The audience just kind of goes, hey, has that pizza gotten here yet? Um, yeah, you kind of lose the audience sometimes when you kind of just keep doing a lot of this. Um, but unfortunately, you know, our budget was, you know, we could only do like five action scenes and the rest of it had to be talking. So it's interesting watching people's reaction because I've seen it mo- many, many times and I kind of go, Ooh, I wish I could have done that different. I wish I could have done that. Ooh, I wish I could have, you know, edit that different or add a shot there or whatever. Um, but the audience usually generally just goes for it. They put both feet in and they just kind of just go for it. Cause they know it's just going to be a ride of a, of a, you know, a B movie, uh, that's kind of schlocky and, um, it, you know, man, it's, it is what it is, man. Six day movies with a, with a shoestring budget. Yeah. There was a good line about, uh, don't be a specious. I don't know how you say it. Specious. <laughs> yeah. So that was DC Douglas and, um, and Brandon, they, the two of them improved most of their dialogue. I mean, there was the basic structure. There was the script there, the basic stuff, but, um, yeah, they, uh, they, they asked me, they said, Hey man, is it okay if we riff a few, few lines here? And I said, dude, go for it. Have fun with it. There's a Sharknado line that's added in the movie that wasn't in the script. Um, I think the, uh, a guy named Skyler who cooks, uh, you know, uh, that was improv. There was a lot of improv. Those guys were amazing together. The two of them just, if I could do a whole movie with just the two of them, I would. Are you hands-on on casting the movie? Very much. Um, there are, you know, the usual politics because there are more people involved than just me. But the way it usually goes is that people submit their tapes. Uh, right now we're doing eco-casting because of COVID, whatever. And, stuff. and a lot of people have been doing eco-casting for many, many years now just because it's a lot easier than just showing up. Uh, some people prefer to show up still, which is fine. Um, but the casting director will compile all of the best that they think that they found. So if there's like 50 auditions, they'll send me the top 10. Uh, and then I have to take those top 10 and whittle them down to the top three that I like. And then I submit those three to the partners over at the asylum. They take a look at them. Um, most times often I usually get the, my picks um, but there's a few characters here and there and stuff that were, they're, they're just kind of like, yeah, you know what, this person would be better for this role. And why don't we move this person over to this role? And that would be better and stuff. And it's like, okay, fine. Sure. It still works out. Um, I think all three of the zombies movies, um, the cast has been amazing. Um, I, I love them all. I, I could just, we still talk to this day. Most of them. I still talk to almost all the cast from all three movies. Um, I mean, as time goes on, we fade away and we do other things and yeah. stuff. But the cast of Aquarium, we still talk every day on Instagram. We send each other stupid messages. Uh, you know, I was talking to Ava today earlier and, you know, just kind of bantering back and forth and stuff. I'm still putting out more content, posters and clips and whatever and stuff, just trying to keep the awareness for Aquarium of the Dead going. So uh, the COVID itself, you said you had to scale back the movie. How has that affected actually making a movie, especially on the independent level? Because I have a lot of friends who are independent filmmakers, and they said, um, you know, a big budget movie can afford to have someone on set to, you know, check everybody and all these things. But, uh, you know, this takes up the whole budget for, for a lot of independent movies. Right. So, 
you know, lately what, what they've been doing. So in movie land, we have a COVID compliance officer or a team of them that go around and make sure people are wearing masks, making sure people are socially distancing. They also take care of our testing. They make sure that we're getting tested regularly. Um, now that vaccinations have been happening, they set up those appointments for us too. Um, on this show, we didn't have that luxury just because we had to keep our numbers down because of the facility that we were shooting at. Can't really name where we shot the movie, but um, the facility had some restrictions and we could only have a certain amount of people. We were only allowed to have like 15 or 20 people inside the building at any given time. So we had to limit our numbers. Um, so we had to scale back on crew cast. We had to combine cast members at some, in some points. Um, yeah, it was very different than what we're used to on movie sets. It was, it was more like, you know, uh, making, you know, making a film with your buddies, you know, just running around with some cameras and stuff and just kind of just going for it and having fun and racing around and, you know, just kind of put everything on a cart and just move to the next set. Great. Let's unload that cart. It's like this, this cart that was maybe three or four feet long, full of boxes of lenses and lights and camera, whatever and stuff. Let's just move to the next set. Great. Let's shoot this scene. Great. Let's move to the next set. Let's shoot this scene. Um, we had to wear masks all the time, uh, except for the actors who were on camera. And even that got challenging too, because it's at one point, uh, two pe the, the two teams meet up. So four characters meet up with two characters. So now there's six characters together. Uh, one of the restrictions that they gave us was only four people could be unmasked at a time. So in a group of six people, I had to shoot them in very various ways. <laughs> so you couldn't tell who was wearing a mask or who wasn't. Um, there's even sometimes when, um, when they're running around, you can see uh, the character of Beth played by uh, Erica Duke. She's holding up a binder over her face. She's like covering it up over her face. So, so nobody can see that she's wearing a mask, which was kind of funny. Um, so yeah, there was, it was very interesting. We didn't have any outbreaks. Nobody got sick on our show. Um, yeah, we were all pretty safe. That's good. Are you working on anything currently? Uh, I'm back to my day job, a Dean for now. Um, currently in, in the development stages for Zumbies three, uh, would like to get that shot in the can, wrap it up in a nice little box set and stuff and kind of finish off the series unless they want to continue the, uh, aquarium of the dead or even do another spinoff. If they want to do another spinoff, I'll be game for that too. Um, how did you get involved in, in, in movies? So uh, was, did you go to film school or did you learn uh, being an AD oh, yeah. to direct? Yeah. So I grew up in LA. I live in Simi Valley. I grew up out here. I went to Universal Studios every month. I loved ju just the process of filmmaking. Um, when I was a kid, I got to see the making of Thriller. There was like, I think a one hour documentary about the making of Thriller. There was that, and there was also, I think, an hour-long documentary on how they made Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Mark Hamill hosted that and stuff, and I thought that was cool. Um, those two documentaries basically opened my eyes to filmmaking and, and the process of special effects and, and just how movies are made. Uh, so I was completely just enthralled with that, fascinated with that. So I said, I, that's what I want to do. 
Um, when I was 16, I used to carry around a video camera in my backpack, take it to school, uh, video t- videotape my friends. I carried a, ba- a video camera in my backpack for many, many years after that and just made little movies. Uh, I would go out with our with my friends and stuff, and we would shoot little movies on VHS and stuff. We would actually edit them in camera. And then we would come back home. So there wasn't any editing when we got back to the house. All we had to do was just put music in it, some yeah. sound effects, and that was it. The movie was done, already cut together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've always had a love for filmmaking and just the whole behind the scenes process and how movies are made. It was just a passion of mine ever since I was little. Yeah. I just um, go back to like when we talk about the, spe- the special features. I have, you know, like I said, a lot of friends who make movies, and a lot of them uh learn to make movies listening to the commentary tracks and watching the uh the specials on you know dvds and blu-rays mm-hmm. I, I love it some, some I actually better than fought... others no i won't name any of the names but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i actually fought for special features on zombies too because that was one of the last dvds that they were going to make and i was getting pushback uh from from some of the studio heads they're like oh nobody cares about special features anymore they just want to watch the movie i said people love special features people love the behind the scenes they love gag reels they love you know uh audio commentary so i fought for that and we got an audio commentary and a blooper reel on zombies 2 zombies 1 had a behind the scenes uh, i think it had an audio commentary i could be wrong uh, the code and the zombie stoner had an audio commentary and a behind the scenes and a gag reel and deleted scenes, like 10 minutes of deleted scenes. Yeah. That Blu-ray has everything on it. That's very cool. Yep. I, I'm a big fan. So aquarium of the dead is everywhere. And uh, where can everywhere. people follow, where can people follow you to see what you're up to? Uh, if you guys want to check me out, I'm on Instagram at uh, Glenn R. Miller. Uh, you guys can check me out on Twitter at Glenn on set and you can find me on Facebook. I'm all over there too. Um, that's pretty much it. I'm maybe working on getting a, uh, only fans page, but I'm oh, just, excellent. you know, excellent. I'm looking, uh, got to work out a little bit. You know, I got to get myself into shape to do that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. I've got my own, I eat pickles on it. No, <laughs> <laughs> but very good. I'm looking forward to that. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is very fun. It was very good to talk with you. Good. To, uh, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you and talk to you as well. Thank you so much, Neil. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Where we should have listened. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming at night. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming-